You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life, and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God. And to you we give glory, together with your eternal Father and your all holy, gracious, and life-giving Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for our Sunday Gospel Reflection, for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Andy Mitchell, welcome back. Father Hezekiah, good to see you. It's good to be seen. And uh, here we are in Isaiah. Yes. yes. Yes, we I mean, head back to Isaiah this week. Yeah, you know, we're kind of at this funny turning point. I've got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of a funny turning point between Theophany and Lent. And the Lent, yeah. I was Christmas, thinking the same thing. Yeah. Baptism, visitation of the wise men, and Lent is coming. I'm going to see that kind of coming together in Isaiah, very much focused upon the mission of the church or I maybe should say the mission of the Christians, because oftentimes we think of the church as that thing out there. Right. They were talking about you. So if you don't Me? like everyone, and myself included. <laughs> so if you're into, uh, you know, get a little smack down from Isaiah, well, here it comes. Here we go. <laughs> yes, indeed. So our first reading for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time this weekend is from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 7 through 10. Mm-hmm. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 112. The gospel for this weekend is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Bingo. Ready to dive into Isaiah? I'm ready. Once more. All right, go to chapter 58 in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 58. Yes, starting yeah. with verse 7. Let's hear it. You ready yeah. to go? Uh, I'm, well, I'm there because I had it open, but you better get your Bibles out, you people. I see it. Janet, Frank, Bob, Fran, Mary, get your Bible out. I'm watching you. Get yes, your Bible, yes. unless you're driving down the road now. If you're driving down the road, don't go, you know, off the edge. But if you're at home and you're studying this with us, get your Bible out, okay? This is not entertainment. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that. you are entertaining. You I find mean, me entertaining. Let's Most really not, let's, let's not lie there, but All right. yes. Let's go. Come on. Isaiah. All right. We gave you enough time to find it. Isaiah All right, here we go. Verse <laughs> seven. Seven. Thus says the Lord, 
Share your bread with the hungry. Shelter the oppressed and the homeless. Clothe the naked when you see them and do not turn your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then light shall rise for you in the darkness and the gloom shall become for you like midday. All right, so let's start off with the context, Father. Um, okay. I mean, what's going on at this point in yeah. Isaiah that this that this is coming from the Lord? Good. I'm. I'm. You know, this is a good a good text to kind of remind us of why we're doing what we're doing here, and that is that that we read this text or we hear this text proclaimed at at Mass on Sunday, and it kind of sounds kind of Jesus Jesusy, right? Like you're like yeah. everybody's on board. Yeah, right. We shouldn't oppress people, right? We should feed the hungry. So that's why we set up the soup kitchen at our parish and we're doing okay. But but again, context is critically important, and we're gonna need to get that context in order to understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing so that we can understand what we're doing and why we're doing. It. Yeah. So yeah. what's going on in Isaiah 58? Well, remember, Isaiah is prophesying, and a lot of times we're looking at the prophecies that he's giving, he's prophesying before the, the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians, right? And then, but we know this story, we don't need to go back to it unless you're new to the ICC, then you can go read 2 Kings chapter 25. I'm not going to read that right now, but they return after 70 years, right? You can read the last chapter of 2 Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra. They return from the Babylonian exile. And when they return, they come back with money, with gold. Again, reading the end of 2 Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra, they come back with Persian gold to rebuild the temple of God and restore things to the way they should have been, but all does not go well. And this is where Isaiah chapter 58 fits in. So it's actually kind of a bit of a unique spot for us in Isaiah in which he's prophesying now, not about, about uh, the fall saying you guys better get your act together or it's this all over. Yeah. yeah. And he's not prophesying about uh of their eventual return he's prophesying about the return itself and the problem that is happening so isaiah is a, it's a big bridge of time right and the reason why it's 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 very probable that isaiah is prophesying in some sense about the problem that's going to happen when they return is given to us not in this reading but in the verses following which is why context 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 right i just would encourage you this is what I did uh, when I was preparing to be with you today. I'm not some great Bible scholar. I don't have all the Isaiah in my head. So I got to use certain principles. And one of those principles is just read a couple verses before and a couple verses after. It's helpful. And in this case, just go back and read the chapter. And sure. we're going to do, we're going to look at this. But look at, look at chapter, chapter 58, verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. So what's he talking about? Well, we all know in, in, in second Kings 25 that Jerusalem burned, it was sacked, it was devastated, right? 
That's what, what Jeremiah weeps over in his Lamentations in chapter 1, verse 1 and following. The place is destitute. It's terrible. It's not good. And so Isaiah is, is, is saying, well, if you do these things, then the ruins that are all around you will actually be rebuilt, which indicates that they haven't been, right? And why haven't they been? Let's look at a couple passages about their return from the Babylonian exile by flipping our Bibles over to Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah, and some prophecies around Zechariah also. Just flip over. I don't have any particular passage in, that, I'm, that I was planning on returning to, except that I'm going to flip my Bible to, you know, we'll go to Haggai. Haggai's right before Zechariah, right? Haggai's that little tiny guy. Haggai's yeah, yeah. so small. Haggai. Haggai. You know, we're going to look at Zechariah also, but here we are. Haggai, look at thus in verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7. Thus says Lord of hosts, consider how you fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, that I may take pleasure in, in it and may appear in my glory, says the Lord. You have looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house is, that lies in ruins while you busy yourselves your own house. So here's what there's what happens for those who don't remember. They come back from Babylon and they don't go build the temple with Cyrus's gold. They go and build their own houses, leaving the temple mount in ruins. Okay, and so there's famine in the land, and there's you know they they plant and it's not bearing fruit. It's disaster. Okay, and you can read the rest of Haggai and get into Zechariah on the same point. And let's take a look at Zechariah chapter seven chapter is Zechariah chapter seven verses one and following in the fourth year are you with me there Andy? yep I'm here in the fourth year of King Darius the word of the Lord came to Zechariah now some have said Darius may actually be Cyrus it may have been the same guy with two different names and it, it certainly appears so because Darius is reigning at the same time that mm. Cyrus is reigning okay so in the fourth year of King Darius the word of course that is the Persian king who grants freedom to Israel right to return from the exile he came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month which is Shizlev now the people of Bethel had sent Sharizer and this other guy and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord and ask for the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So what appears there appears is that there's been, there's been a number of fasts that have been imposed upon God's people while in exile because of the exile. Okay. All right. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and the, and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh month for these 70 years, okay, you can go back and pick that up in Second Chronicles, the last chapter, Second Chronicles 36, I think, it, it talks about the 70-year jubilee, which mm -hmm. the Lord imposes because the people are not observing the jubilee. Uh, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink yourselves and drink for yourselves? When Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity with her cities round about her and the south and the lower lands were inhabited, were not these the words of the Lord which proclaimed the former prophets? Okay, and, and he's going he's gonna to go on and talk about this. Now, in that context, in that, that prophecy of, of Zechariah saying, the Lord saying, guys, you're, you're keeping a fast in Babylon. And on your return, 
because of the fall of Jerusalem, but have you actually corrected the problems in your heart that caused the Babylonian exile? Have you actually treated your brother the way he was supposed to be treated? Or are you continuing to enslave him and mistreat him? Okay, so let's so go back. Like, this was like fasting as superstition almost. Yeah, or, or because the law said we had to do it and we got to get ourselves right with the law so that we can get back into our homes and have everything we want again. Let me ask you a question based upon Haggai. They went home and started rebuilding their houses, but their people that got themselves in trouble for having enslaved their brother in the first place, what do you think they're going to do again? Enslaved if they haven't actually again. repented of their sins mm -hmm. from Jeremiah chapter 34. Go read yeah. it. Okay. And so, so look, this is what's going on. It's the same problem we had before. We're going to go back now to Isaiah 58, and we're going to read a little bit of context now in, in light of what Zechariah is saying. Chapter 58, verse 1, cry aloud, spare not. Are you with me, Isaiah 58? Yep, I'm back here. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight in, to know my ways. And if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me, to, to God. Why have we fasted and thou seest it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and thou takest no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all of your workers building your own homes. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a rush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the thongs of, of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you, seek the, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide your face from your own flesh. Now, that's a key phrase, right? And the fundamental problem going on in Isaiah chapter 34 is not that they have enslaved another nation. The biggest problem is enslaved their brother. I'm not saying that slavery to another nation is okay. What I'm saying is that what, what the Lord is saying is you've mistreated your own, your own brother, your own person who's sitting right there at your doorstep. He's part of your family. So, so before we go off and start building homeless shelters, and distributing money to the homeless, I think we have to understand the context and what's going on in Israel. And that is that the house of God and the family of God, who is meant to be a light to the nations, is itself in darkness. It is itself in, 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 in servitude, in oppression. The problem is not the Babylonians. The problem is Israel. Because Israel has refused to 
live in the image and likeness of God. They refuse to follow the law. They haven't kept the Passover. They haven't kept the Jubilee year. And therefore, they're not reflecting on what God has done for them so that they might be able to live in his image and after his likeness. Okay, And that problem is what leads up to the Babylonian exile. But then once, once they're exiled, once they're taken off in chains, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know? Everything goes bad. What do we do, right? Oh, Lord. Oh, please, no. Oh, no, please, please. Don't do it. Oh, God, have mercy. All of a sudden, I find a lot of people praying when people get sick. I'm not saying it's not a problem to pray, but where was you? You're praying before? Suddenly, someone dies and everybody calls the priest. I'm sorry. What, what family are you from? I don't. Have I ever met you? Oh, no, Father. You know, my parents, they... They, they, they founded the church. But have I ever met you? No, you know, I'm busy with my work. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm maybe sharing a little too much about my own parish. This is what we get, right? But, but, but Father, we really need to pray for Dad because he's sick and he's dying. Who's your dad? <laughs> you know? So, you know, the Lord is not, uh, it's not, I keep, oh, he's in a vending machine business, but it's not a mechanical act. And I think it's a big warning for us heading to Lent. You know, what is the church? What obligation do you have? Because they were doing it. They're they're over. They're reading the law. They're delighting to hear the words of the law. You know, but in their heart, they were far from the law of God. And that's the problem, you know. And I'm going to just go back to one other passage to bring this all back. And then we're going to head towards the New Testament, but we got to go to the New Testament to get there. And that is, that is to first John, because I, I think it's important for us to um, reflect upon the internal reason for the law and the internal reason why we ought to take care of the hungry and the oppressed and not enslave our brother, why we ought to give, have forgiveness for one another. These are not simply the laws of God. They are an internal reality of who we are as, as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. They're internal to the Lord himself. And so I, I got to go back to 1 John, a passage we know quite well. Now, just skip for take a time to verse 16. For so we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I bring this up now here looking at Isaiah chapter 58, because I think we could kind of be, you know, oh, naughty, naughty Israel who's not following the law of God, right? But, but ultimately, we remember the law of God in the Old Testament and in the New is not something that's like like positive law that he just he just kind of you have to do this as a dictator you have to do that no god is love and love is the giving of our life to the beloved right and this is what this is so this is the fundamental center and core of everything that god is love from all eternity he's poured out his life to the son and the holy spirit from all eternity he's lived a life of loving communion israel is called to live in his image and after his likeness this is what the law is this is the sin this is why god's saying hey i don't he's not saying he doesn't care about their fasts right he's the one that told them to fast 
But the problem is the purpose of the fast is not just to keep the fast because all things in this created order are good. Are they not? So why do we fast from things that God has made good? And this is a dichotomy which the modern stinking liberals are teaching to our children in our own Catholic schools. You don't need to fast. Really, what you need to do is, is, is just say something nice to somebody. No, the fast is given to us that we might control our passions so much that we can redirect our will toward the one God has placed in our life rather than all oh, the things that I have to have in my life and my dinner and my steak and my wine and my car and my all these things that are so important to me all are good. But all the while, I miss the very purpose that I made for. And that is not for those things, but for this thing and all those things in relationship to this thing. Yeah. God is love. And I am called to live out that life of love. And the fast helps me to do that. God's not condemning the fast. He's condemning the problem. These people are fasting without the proper purpose, without the proper, you know, movement of the will. And, and, and so they're, they're looking, he's saying, he's saying, look around. You want to know why things aren't going well for you in this created order? Because you're abusing this created order. Because you're abusing the first and most important thing I've placed in your life, and that is your brother. Yeah. Yeah, and it almost seems like, a, correct me if I'm wrong, you might correct me here, but kind of this idea of like, in, in this passage, you know, almost like fake it till you make it kind of mentality here like okay you don't get the jubilee so here do these things so that you can start to understand what all of this is for like go out of yourself give bread to the hungry shelter the oppressed clothe the naked stop doing what you haven't been doing yeah right stop stop holding your brother in slavery right and that doesn't mean physical slavery but there's also a spiritual slavery yeah. we hold each other in, right? Absolutely. And then look at this. Look at this, Annie. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. I love this passage because notice the light which breaks forth is here. Yeah. It's already been planted within us. It's just waiting to break forth. If we allow, allow the, we talked about the clay jar before, right? And a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. if we allow that clay jar to break to, to the if repentance can set in, then the light of God can shine forth from us again. And that light is the, the love of God dwelling within us. Yeah. Right. And it's, but it's notice it's ours. Let your light shall break forth. And, and later on, then light shall rise for you in the darkness and the gloom shall become for you like midday. It's, it's very beautiful, but we have to get back to the core of what we're talking about and why Isaiah is prophesying, why the Lord is speaking to Isaiah, to his people in this way. And then, and then having known what happened, we can then apply it to our own lives. And I'm going to apply it right now. We're going to go to the gospel. Let's apply it for just a moment and maybe I'll come back to it. How oftentimes we do what Israel did. The Lord has bestowed so many blessings on life. I mean, we're, we're really the poorest among us are richer than the rich of generations ago, right? But we, we concern ourselves with all of the things the world says are most important. And then they 
And then we pass around the collection basket on Sunday and we look for what's left over. It's not going to work. This is not going to work. And, and that's not, that's not, it's been going on for, for, for thousands of years now. And the Lord says, don't do it. It's, I'm not blind. I'm not stupid. If you're driving the Tesla and you're putting your crinkled up $5 bill in the basket on Sunday, it doesn't work. God's not blind. Or, or you want you say, oh, I wish our church was wonderful and glorious, but I hate my priest and I despise him and I talk about him behind his back. The Lord's not deaf. Put your hand to the plow and build the kingdom of God. And that's what we talked about last week in the Beatitudes. And it's here now going to be applied in the gospel. Well, I have one more question before we I figured you might move through. Okay. So um it says in here, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And I'm wondering A, what that means, but then also, you know, all of these these, I guess you could call them instructions from the Lord, you know, they sound a lot like the the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, right? So I'm wondering if you can also then just to kind of piggyback on what you've been saying here, talk about the the link between our practicing mercy and our vindication ultimately at the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would just say, I would say from a biblical standpoint, Israel always, because we're in the Old Testament here, so I don't want to go too homiletic. Sure, I'm sorry. Sure. I always contextualize in the Old Testament is that this is an image given to us from the Exodus. Yeah. Right. In which the glory of God, which was the glory cloud, right, settled upon his people such that they were protected from their enemies. And the light of the Lord, the pillar of fire, led them through the desert in the midst of darkness, right? And so Israel is always looking back on that experience of their, of what happened and how Pharaoh was left behind and how the Midianites and the, um, the Amalekites and not the Melkites, but the Amalekites are all, you know, and, and how the Lord has protected them through this passage to the desert. And now that, that image is going to be given to people in Babylon as they're making their way back to the promised land that they're that those their rear guard right well what's the rear with the side that is your blind side will be mm -hmm. protect the Lord's going to protect your blind side you will it's not your enemies will not be able to be victorious over you and those around you that saw you in your affliction right in slavery will now see you in see you justified right? We'll see you enlightened. Yeah. No more oppressed by the enemy, but as a free people going forth. And so I, you know, I don't have much more to say about that, but, but then you then certainly can apply that to our life today and our own vindication in the midst of the accusations, which we face in our in our everyday life and the challenges we face in everyday life and the protection the Lord's going to give us ultimately that we will be victorious if we live the life he has given to us because yeah. ultimately no matter what they do to us no matter what 
they're a people of the resurrection. This is the hope the that the uh, that the martyrs had, right? So do whatever you want to me, attack me. But it's the Lord's glory that's going to protect me at the end of the day, and the light which is going to lead me to the kingdom which is to come. Yeah. Well, in the exodus from sin. Aside from that. Amen. For sure. Beautiful bridge that we have to the gospel in the responsorial psalm this weekend. I love the response. The just man is a light in darkness to the upright. Mm. Yeah. He sees in he sees in front of him. What is the just man? What is justice? Giving someone their due. He gives yeah. Them, yeah. And, and one who is, is, ju- is just is one who is properly ordered, right? All parts of him are in the right order. And the upright see in the in the just man see in the just man the light right they see in him what they are striving for yeah um before we go on annie i need to quote from saint jerome it's very beautiful the divine scriptures teach us to forgive our debtors so that the heavenly father would also forgive our debts the old history instructs in the seventh year of remission or in the 50th year which is the true jubilee to return all possessions to the lord and restore to one's servants, their original freedom to render void every name that was used as a warranty. But if this was commanded in the law, how much more in the gospel where all goods are doubled and where we are ordered by no means to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but instead to offer our cheek to the assailant. When you see people freezing outside the church in the frigidity of unbelief without the warmth of faith, impoverished and homeless lead them home into the church and clothe them with the work of incorruption so that wrapped in the mantle of christ they will not remain in the grave and here saint jerome helps us kind of lift our vision to a spiritual reality and that is that is the oftentimes slavery we hold another person in and refusing to forgive them and then the reality of true suffering in this world is one, is not to ignore physical suffering, but to say there's a greater suffering in our society, which oftentimes is causing the physical suffering that is going on. And St. Jerome nails that. Maybe we can come back to that quote after we look at the gospel. All right. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And we are starting on verse 13. Let me know when you're ready, Father. All right. Matthew's uh, in the New Testament. Is that correct, Annie? I, I believe so. Early on in the New Testament. All right. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. Go. What was right. the verse? Chapter 5, verse 13. Go. 13. Yeah. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly father. Okay, so this is immediately following what we read last week with with the Beatitudes, uh, Father. So how how does this teaching on, on salt and light sort of flow from that, do you think? 
Sure. I'll just go back to what we talked about last week. Of course, like you said, it just follows right along the Beatitudes here. As we're looking at our Bibles, you'll see the Beatitudes right there. And then Jesus turns and begins talking about light and salt. And I think the last verse here directs us to what we should be looking at. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So, so remember, this whole section of the gospel of Matthew is Jesus's training. It's his, they're, they're in boot camp. Right? The apostles are in boot camp and they're learning what it means to be a disciple and they're pre- being prepared for, for their mission. So Archbishop Elias Shakur is making this comment regarding the Beatitudes about the Aramaic word that we normally read these past the Beatitudes in a passive way. Right. And he is saying this is a mistake based upon the Aramaic, which is much more active in its in its sense. Uh, and this is what he says. When I understand Jesus' words in the Aramaic, I translate like this, get up, go ahead, do something, move. You who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for you shall be satisfied. Get up, go ahead, do something, move. You peacemakers, for you shall be called children of God. And I bring that in here to what what Jesus then says to the apostles, and that is, let your works be seen among men, right? And that's where we can bring in now this image of light and of salt, what Jesus is bringing in from the Old Testament, especially this light theme that we saw in the prophecy of Isaiah, that Christianity is not a passive religion, even though most of us sit in our comfy pews and treat it like such, right? No, it's not a passive religion at all. And if we realize that and we want to be Christians, then we'll get up and, what does he say? Go ahead and do something, and move. You who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for you shall be satisfied. So I just would caution everybody as we're, these last two weeks is, these are nice sayings of Jesus. And if we approach them as the nice sayings of Jesus, we're not going to be able to actually internalize this gospel, which is why I began by saying, this is all about you and me, about us, and about how we are living out our Christian faith. And whether we're allowing ourselves to listen to the law of God, as Israel was doing, Isaiah chapter 58, and yet, and, and even and even fulfilling the obligations of, of the church. And yet, when we turn around, we're, we treat our spouse, our children, our priest, our co-workers in a way that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not even talking about the homeless guy in the street, not yet, because that isn't going to be fixed until this is fixed and this is fixed, right? The, and this is, this is uh, Pope Benedict says this uh, very beautifully when he's talking about the new evangelization and about the situation that the church finds herself in. In his address to, to catechists, Pope Benedict said this, Without a doubt, a mending of the fabric of society is urgently needed in all parts of the world. The homeless guy out on the street, right? Sure. Okay. But for this to come about, what is needed is to first remake the fabric of the ecclesial community itself. There it goes. So let that thing resonate just a minute. He's saying, you got a, we got a problem out there is because we have a problem in here. Why? Because what's going on out there can only be healed by the light that is in here. If Israel refuses to be to their brother 
in the image and likeness of God, how in the world are they supposed to bring about a global stopping of slavery and abuse and 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 cheating and lying and all of the fallout of the fall, right? Not going to happen. And it's the same in our church. It's the same in our community because we can talk about this now in the Gospel of Matthew that we must begin here in our relationship with one another in our works that we're doing. Okay, I'm going to take our Protestant brothers and sisters and set them outside the door unless you're in this Bible study. And then I have to ask you, what are you protesting? Give me a call on my cell phone anytime, 703-504-8733. If you want to talk about the issues you have with the church so we can solve those and we can get back inside. But now I want to talk to those that are inside this community and say, it's all about works. It's all about works because we're made to live and to act, to, to get up and go ahead and do something. Not to be passive about our faith. The works are, is the love flowing out of us. Love, you know, oh, I love the person and I leave them over there unhappy over there. No, love is incarnational. It begins here, but we are an inca- we are we are body and soul. We 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 do things. My hand moves to make the spiritual point. Do you see what I'm saying? If you don't do that, then I'm sorry. This is why Jesus show me your works. Yep. Right. We can't pretend as though we're Christians, and yet we're not actually living as Christians. Yeah, and that begins that begins with what we're how we're 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 doing to our to those near us to our brothers to the ecclesial community itself we must rebuild it if we expect our church to be a light to the nations and i mean our church not our building but our church our community is only there that it can be a light because why because the god lives in a community father son and holy spirit it's only in community that the light shines so it's it's there which we must work to restore these relationships and these good works must begin there. So I ask you, my brothers and sisters, you want to talk about practical things about homelessness and hungry people? I'm going to talk to you about the pregnant woman in your parish. You got a plan to bring her food when she has that baby? I'm going to talk with you about the, the widow in your parish. Are you ministering to her in her time of need? I'm going to talk to you about the children in your parish. Have you taken it on your responsibility to ensure they're properly catechized, that you yourself are formed first so that you can catechize and form them? The Institute of Catholic Culture isn't here for the Institute of Catholic Culture, and it's not here so that you can get here and get smart about Jesus. It's here so that you can be well-formed to do something about it. If you're not a catechist and you're watching this program, my brothers and sisters, something's wrong. And you may be a catechist in your home. Yeah, good. That's what I'm talking about. You know, not always in the parish on Sunday school programs. That's, okay, maybe that's a role. You're being formed in the faith. You better be forming other people. Yeah. So that your good works can be seen. And that you can, in that relationship that you're doing, that you're bringing, that you're, that you're assisting, you're, that you're loving one another, that love can start to shine because of that love is being shown. So let's get our ecclesial communities sewn up the where it's torn sew it up 
Get out that coffee maker on Sunday morning, wheel it out in the parking lot, and let's have a coffee hour for God's sake. And we start there, we start meeting one another, and we start rebuilding our ecclesial community. Then our ecclesial community can start to shine in such a way because of our love. This is how they're going to be known, is it not? That you're a Christian. That's it. Your love for one another, period. Who's the guy standing next to you in your pew? Do you love him? And if you love him, show me your works. And if you, you don't know him, him yeah, you better go tackle say, him on Sunday morning. What's that, Annie? Sorry. Tell me his name. That was what I was going to say. Yeah, tell me his name. Exactly. Yeah. It's a beautiful tradition in the Christian East. Our communities tend to be smaller. But the priest is to give communion by name to everybody that approaches. Because communion is real. Yeah, it's a, it's a real communion, a relationship, which is established here in our church building. And if I don't know the person's name, I mean, gee whiz, do I have a relationship with them? Do I have a communion with them? And if I don't, then what right do I have giving them communion? See, it's not Jesus, is not the magic Jesus. No, it's the establishment of relationships in God that I receive the communion of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and by that act, I am put into communion with all those who are in communion with him. So the naming of the person is huge. It's very important. But unfortunately, our communities are so big, it becomes difficult. Yeah. Can we say something about salt? Yeah, I was, I wanted to ask about salt and, and the image that, that Jesus uses a, here. Yeah, because there's a lot of people, well, salt preserves and these are, yeah, things like that. And yeah, the fathers of the church talk about that a little bit. But more importantly, they talk about the way Jesus talks about salt. And it's what? If it loses its taste. Yeah. It's like, what's the point? What's the point? It's supposed to make things tasty. You are the salt. You're most supposed to make your family and your job and all those in your sphere of influence tasty with Jesus. So I ask you, are those around you tasty with Jesus? Huh? Are they delicious? Are your friends delicious? I know it sounds you ridiculous. You want to eat your friends. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is the image Jesus gives us. And if they're not, if they're not tasty, then you have to ask yourself, are you salting them? Yeah. Right? This yeah. is what Jesus calls and you're like, well, that's dead. My dead. friends are French fries. Heavy Never duty. thought about it this way. <laughs> taco seasoning. Yeah. Love it. Okay. You're, you're taco seasoning to the taco, you know? But on the serious note, I, I want you to just maybe we take a few minutes to think about that and to ask ourselves if we're actually living as Catholics, right? Are we really, um, are our good works acting in this way oh, okay now we have gone on a long time here guys and i know it's 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 a lot i've got to i gotta i gotta share with you uh saint hillary of poitiers says the salt of the earth i suppose seems at first like nothing special so what did jesus mean when he called the apostles the salt of the earth we must look for the words appro appropriate meaning both the apostles task and the nature of salt itself will reveal this the element of water and the element of fire are combined and united in salt. 
So ordinary salt made for the use of, of the human race imparts resistance to corruption to the meats on which they are sprinkled. And of course, it is very apt to add the sensation of hidden flavor. Likewise, the apostles are the preachers of surprising heavenly things and eternity. Like sowers, they sow immortality on all bodies on which their discourse has been sprinkled. Christians, are you sowers that sow immortality in all bodies on which your discourse has been sprinkled? They are perfected by the baptism of water and fire. And so those who are to be salted with the power of gospel teaching have rightly been called the salt of the earth. They are right now being preserved to the end. Okay, I know the church fathers, they're just beautiful like that, but it's challenging to us, aren't they? Yeah. And as we're moving forward now towards Lent, and we have the baptism of the Lord and all of these theophanic, I don't know if that's a real word or not, experience of God coming in and revealing himself, our own baptism being renewed. Yeah, we're heading towards Lent, and Isaiah comes in here very beautifully. And say, how are you living as a Christian? Do you go to Mass every Sunday? And you get there on time? It's not enough. Do you donate when the church, when the basket comes around? It's not enough. Do you light a candle? It's not enough. Do you fulfill all the obligations and you get you fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday? It's not enough. The Lord is inviting us to something deeper and richer. That as we enter into the, the great fast, that we begin to let flow out of this experience of the fast, all of that love which God has placed within us, all of those good works which we are made for, so that our light begins to shine and the day of the resurrection dawns from within. And we begin to live in that light of the resurrection as Christians. Well, more to say about that in the coming weeks as we prepare for Lent. But the church place is so beautiful, Isaiah, right now. And a challenge for us and how we're living as Christians. Yeah. I mean, this last line here, just so your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify, not you, mm. but glorify your heavenly father. Yeah. Why? Which, because everything within is a gift from him. This is why the Eucharistic offering, Eucharistic sacrifice is so beautiful. Right? The Thanksgiving offering. I realize everything I have is his dwelling within me. But you know what? He's made it mine too. I've become one with him. Yeah. And through me then and my works, they come to glorify God our heavenly father do you see the intercessory power of the christians again to my protestant brothers and sisters this is what we're made for we're made for intercession because god has made us to be in his image after his likeness. he could have done it by himself he could have said all from actually could have because by his nature it's not right by his nature it's love so it's always sharing it's this is what it means to be part of him is to be to glor glorify him in us because the glory of the Lord is who he is and is who he is, is love. The, the, the saints, the fathers of the church, the Christian is the evidence, the revelation of God. As St. Irenaeus says, the glory of God is man fully alive. This is the evidence of God is love, right? Yeah. 
I know how I got off on that, Annie, but that's well, that's, no, I mean, it's like it's exact. I, I know we're just kind of marching our way through to move on to the epistle here. We're, yes. we're you know, just sort of marching our way through First Corinthians, yeah. but this reading that we have is is right in line with everything that you've been saying, uh, particularly, I think, the, the last couple of lines. So, oh, shall so we First read Corinthians it? chapter two, right? Yes, First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter, two. chapter two, verses one through five. You threw your Bible? No, I said I lost my Bible for a second under <laughs> my pile of stuff over here. By the way, I did want to recommend as we look to that, for those of you who really want to dive deeper into the scriptures and be studying and, and, and so forth, another nice resource, I pulled it off my shelf today, is this old commentary. You got to love an old commentary that looks like that, right? You oh, know, yeah. Like, that's that's good stuff right there. <laughs> Clearly. And this is called A Catholic Commentary on Holy Scripture by Dom Bernard Orchard. Orchard is what you want to be looking for. It's That's the Orchard's Commentary, as it's commonly called, Orchard's Commentary. Okay. This was put out by Thomas Nelson and Sons, and the date on this thing is like 1953. But you can pick yeah. this up. You can pick this up in the used bookstore, maybe on Amazon or something like that, or maybe it's been reprinted. I just got the old one. I don't know. But anyways, Orchard's commentary. It's a nice little commentary to have. A little bit, I mean, it's a commentary old school style. So it's like verse by verse. Yeah, so yeah. it's not cool. inspiring necessarily, but certainly helpful in context. Go ahead, Annie. Nice. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're reading verses 1 through 5. Okay, go ahead. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with sublimity of words or of wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing going back to that last verse of, of the gospel, isn't it? They glorify the Father because of your good works, right? And and so, you know, I think it's maybe we just we say this at the end here that look how St. Paul is talking about how he comes in his human weakness, right? But notice what he says, but with a demonstration of spirit and power. And, and you might be saying, Father, <laughs> I can't go out and do all these things. I can't do it. All. I can't. The apostles were fishermen. <laughs> but the power of the Holy Spirit is real, my brothers. Do you know, I got to tell you a witness. I'm going to witness from my own life for a moment. I am a very, I'm very nervous about speaking in public. I am. But when I talk about the, the, the scriptures, about our faith, it's just, there's something, it's, it's kind of miraculous. I really am. To be honest with you, everybody's going to say this is not true. It is true. I'm kind of a quiet guy. I'm kind of a little bit reserved. I don't make friends easily. I don't, I'm not gregarious in, in, you know, the parties. I like when I, we have, I, I like to throw parties for people, for people. And I usually go hide in my kitchen and cook because I'm not really good. At the, but, but, but God's spirit is real and transformative. And if you allow yourself to 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 open up to him he will he will make miracles in your life and here i think saint paul witnesses to that he says i didn't come in great 
wisdom of that the Corinthians would have expected, having experienced all the great wisdom of the, the philosophers who were being debated on the, on the street corners in Corinth, right? He didn't come in great power like that. He came in the power of the spirit, knowing what was in him and allowed God to speak through him and then to bring healing to those who were suffering in spirit. And then I go back, I go back then to St. Jerome and I'm going to give a little shameless plug here for the ICC. Here it is, St. Jerome. When you see people freezing outside the church in frigidity of unbelief, without the warmth of faith, impoverished and homeless, lead them home into the church and clothe them with the work of incorruption. Look around you. How many of our brothers and sisters, our cousins, members of our family, members of our workplace are suffering from a lack of faith? Bring them home. You should always carry in your wallet, not tons of money, but cards that can say, you're in the in the Uber. That's your one goal in the Uber is to start a conversation on Jesus Christ. It's your one goal in your workplace to share with others the glory that you've received. Yeah? And so you always have to be ready for that, to let the Spirit work, to bring healing to those God has placed in your life, to that ecclesial community around you. Yeah? And so I want to I want to ask you to consider the, the, the healing power of of, of the words of, of Dr. Cutterback, the healing power to bring shelter of the words of, of Father Scalia, of Monsignor Pope, who, who go through the Institute, not with great wisdom, but in the power of the spirit to bring healing and let, let them get out there to others to share. So I, I, I said, it was a shameless plug. It's not shameless. It's, it's really from my heart is, we have a mission here that says exactly what St. Jerome said. Let's help these people that are freezing to death in our churches, first of all. Yeah. You know, the guy that comes on Sunday, we need to finish this. The guy that comes on Sunday afternoon late to Mass, you know, oh, geez, he comes in late again every time. That's the homeless guy. That's the guy that's on the edge of the body of Christ. He's about to die. And he's not going to pay you know, $100 to go to some conference on, on the Bible. He's not going to go buy a new Bible put out by the latest publisher of the new Bible from the new Bible company. But he just might, he just might come and listen to Monsignor Pope if it's free of charge and he knows it's sitting there for him because the guy's coming and he's hungry. Feed him. Feed him. Don't scour upon him because he's coming in late. He's seeking. He's hungry. That's why he's coming. Clothe him. Give him shelter. Support the Institute of Catholic Culture and what we're trying to accomplish here. And do these powerful works of God so that your, so that your uh, works can be seen and can bring, bring healing to our, our ecclesial community. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities 
and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.